Welcome back to the BS in Life podcast, where we talk about life beyond your degree. If you're new, welcome to the pod. We talk about, I don't even know, wait, what, what was the thing we did last time? Welcome to the BS in Life podcast, where we talk about life beyond your degree. If you're new here, welcome. Feel free to like, comment, and subscribe. We'd love to see you here again next week. Uh, This week's topic of the week is how do I vote? We talked about how to get registered, what's coming up on this year's ballot, and when the election is. And then we jumped into the topic of the week, which was conspiracy theories and misinformation, how to spot them, and how to identify misinformation when it's presented to you. Now... Do you know if we got any new reviews this week? Um, I can check. Do you know? I don't know, so it's going to be a surprise. Okay. So the review for this week goes to, wow, how do you say that? N- Nick Lacade? Nickel Cade? Is that your friend? Oh, N-I- yeah, that's Nikki. That's Nick my girl. Lacade. Okay, a gift to humanity. I love that Allie and John give a raw view to life and aren't afraid to be straightforward while keeping it exciting heart emoji. Okay, take it away. Yeah, the the opener. I I don't know any Um, of this. So this week, our topic of the week is voting. Um, By the time you hear this podcast, we will be just 90 days away from the election. And I thought it was a good time to cover questions like how do I vote when do I need to be registered by um, and just kind of get people excited about election season coming up because I'm excited and I feel like I'm the only one (laughs) Um, so why does this matter why are we talking about it Um, voter participation in the U.S. in general is pretty low and specifically amongst younger people it's extremely low Um, millennials, which is me and John's generation made up about 31% of the eligible pool of voters. So people who could have voted in 2016 and only 46% of millennials actually voted in 2016. So our voter participation has been pretty low and my biggest goal is to make as small of an impact in that as I can. If I can get a few people registered or excited, that would be awesome. Regardless of how you vote, honestly, if you vote blue, yellow, red, orange, purple, green, I don't care. Just participate. So first question is, how do I vote? So there are two methods to vote. You can vote in person or you can vote by mail. Um, Voting in person is pretty straightforward. You will be assigned a polling place. You show up on election day while that polling place is open. And as long as you are in line, by the time that the polls close, you will be able to vote. Um, voting in person can be a little problematic depending on where you live. Sometimes there can be really long lines. So I know on campus at UCI, there was a huge line and people were waiting for about an hour. Um, and that can be difficult if you have a job, if you have kids, um, et cetera. So the next option is absentee voting or voting by mail. Um, there are restrictions on absentee voting or voting by mail. Uh, They vary state by state. Some states it's easier to vote by mail, some states only vote by mail, and some states it's a little difficult to vote by mail. They have a lot of restrictions on it. Um, 
Something I think is really important to talk about when talking about voting by mail is that some states have signature restrictions. And that means that your signature is supposed to match the signature that they have on file for you. In California, I know that that means it has to match your driver's license or your state ID. Um, And I did not know that. And if your signature does not match, your vote gets tossed out and it doesn't count. So super important to make sure that you're voting with the right signature when you sign that ballot and you mail it in. So you make sure it counts. Um, And the second thing with voting by mail or absentee voting is you want to make sure that you are um, sending it in early enough that it'll get in and get counted. Um, Especially right now, there's kind of uh, some some hindrances in the post office. Um, So mail is getting mailed out really slowly. So just get that vote in as early as possible to give it as much time to get to the voting center as it needs. most places recommend at least two weeks. I would say if you can do three weeks, do three weeks earlier, the better. Um, why would you do absentee voting? So this year, there's a few reasons. Um, some people either are traveling or they have some sort of commitment the day of election day, so they have to request an absentee ballot. Um, a lot of students request absentee ballots because they go to school in a different place than they live. Um and lastly coronavirus (laughs) so um some people especially people in high-risk categories may feel unsafe going out and waiting in line with people or voting in a building with a lot of people so um your best option would be to vote by mail um there are different deadlines for voting by mail and they vary state by state so i would recommend visiting www.vote.org once again, that's www.vote.org to make sure that you are following all of the vote by mail uh, qualifications or restrictions for your state. Um, lastly, with absentee voting. So a lot of college students might opt to do absentee voting um, while they are away at college, or you can just register to vote in your new area where you are at school. Um, the main difference here is going to be what propositions and what local and state representatives you are voting for. So if you're going to school out of state, you're going to be voting for different people um, and different propositions. Uh, so just be aware that that might change and you'd have to do some research for whatever state you're going to be in when you vote. So there are deadlines for registering to vote. They vary state by state. Once again, www.vote.org would be a great Uh, resource for you. They list out all of the uh, registration requirements and deadlines for each state. Um, In no state is it more than 30 days before the election that you have to be registered. So your safest bet is to just be registered at least 40 days ahead of time. Um, That way you can be sure that you will be registered on time. Um, There are some requirements for voting. So you have to be a U.S. citizen, You have to meet your state's residency requirements. You have to be registered by the deadline for your state. And you have to be 18 on or before election day. Um, And then there are some restrictions for people who cannot vote. So if you are a non-U.S. citizen, including um, permanent legal residents, you cannot vote. If you are mentally incapacitated, again, those rules vary by state. Um, You cannot vote. Um, In some states, people with felony convictions cannot vote, interestingly enough. That is actually on the ballot for propositions for California, um, is whether or not people with felony convictions should be able to vote. So pay attention to ballot or <laughs> pay attention to propositions because they're really important. Um, 
And then lastly, U.S. citizens that are residing in U.S. territories cannot vote in presidential elections. So by this point, you're saying vote, 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 vote. Uh, but like, how do I actually register, right? So uh, my recommendation, the easiest website I found to get registered is www.votesaveamerica.org backslash b dash a dash voter backslash um, we have that link in the doobly-doo below so if you did not catch what i just said just click the link in the in our little comment section um registering to vote is fairly simple so it's an online form you're going to put in some information like your name where you live how old you are and then they'll ask you for either your social security card driver's license number um state identification card number or if you actually don't have any of those, you can leave that section blank and the state will assign you a voting number that you can be used or that can be used to identify you on election day. Um, so what are we voting on? We are voting for props. We are voting for representatives at the local, state and federal level. So that could be anything from mayor all the way up to state senator. Um, and then we were also voting this year on the presidential election. So we will be voting for either uh, candidate Biden or President DJT. Um, if you are curious about what's going to be on your ballot, there's actually a lot of uh, resources online. I think Ballotopedia is a great website for finding out what's going to be on your ballot, who's running in your area, etc. Um, but if you have any questions or you need help finding resources or you need help registering to vote, um, I'm more than happy to help you. You can DM me on Instagram at Allie Megan, A-L-L-I-E-M-E-E-G-A-N. I would be more than happy to answer any of your questions on either side of the aisle. I just, like I said, I'm really excited and focused on getting people registered and getting people to participate. Um, let's see, what am I missing? Oh, if you are not sure if you are registered, you can visit votesaveamerica.org and they can actually tell you if you've already registered or not in addition to allowing you to register to vote. So that's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, 30 or what is it? 90 days till election day. It's coming up. Get excited. And now we can move on to our main topic for today's episode, which is combating misinformation. So... <laughs> Or you, Ali, you go first. You go first. Tell us why you wanted to talk about this. Because you you're the one that brought this up. Yeah. So um, there was a video that went around recently. Um, I don't even know what it was called. But it was basically some doctors that were talking about hydroxychloroquine as a um, cure, quote, quote, um, to the coronavirus. Um, it went viral. It was retweeted by the president. Um, I had several of my friends that posted it. And there was a lot of misinformation in it. Um, hydroxychloroquine has actually been removed by the FDA as a, a, a remedy or like medicine that can be used against coronavirus just because there are a lot of side effects. Um, there's a lot of heart issues that can be happening. It's just seen as not, uh, not very safe and they didn't see any um, like significant benefits in fighting corona from it. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I brought that up to some of my friends who posted it um, and they were just kind of brushing it off. Um, so I told John, I wanted to talk about misinformation and how we can do our best to find misinformation when it's presented to us and then mm -hmm. address it when we see it. Yeah. When Ali brought this up, I said, what did I say? I said, I'm down every day and twice on Thursdays to go over this topic. 
because I am I like to I like to adorn myself by saying I am the devil's advocate. <laughs> so I like playing the devil's advocate. I like talking taking the other position and I like being critical and I think everybody should be a little more critical with what they're looking at. Um, that doesn't mean and, and just, that, again when we go over this before we go over this that doesn't mean you be critical to undermine like the, the, the authorities that are speaking on this issue right now. Like me and Ali are not doctors. We don't claim to be doctors. We don't claim to have any, we no. don't have any medical experience, but it's good to like practice asking these questions regarding like COVID or whatever it may be. It's good to ask questions. It's good. And it's good to be like a healthy amount I think amount it's important too to be able to, yeah, I think it's also important to be able to identify, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Not like, oh, credible. The ability to mm. identify credible sources when you don't have any background in that field. I The last time I took a science class was high school. So obviously I know nothing about what's happening right now. And I think it's important to be able to find resources that you can educate yourself and not necessarily mm. be an expert. Yes. And so that's why we're talking about this. And to start off, I want to talk about the quote because Ali sent me this really good video. What's the what's the, the show? It's a... Uh, last week the show is called called? last week tonight by john oliver by john Oliver. and two weeks ago they did an episode on conspiracy theories and misinformation Mm -hmm. and it was phenomenal highly recommend watching that's where i got most of the content for today so we can link it in the in the show notes but the quote so i was watching i was like all right okay 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 but the quote that sold me i'm gonna say it okay i quote it might it could it's too soon to say the problem is might and could aren't really words that grab an audience. John Oliver. That encapsulates a lot of my feelings. I might have even said something like that in a previous episode, but he said that and I was just like, all right, you sold me. Good, good, episode. good content, good episode, good, good quote. Good thing to say, John Oliver. Brava. Anyway, so let's get into it. Ali, you take the reins, go first. Well, so, I mean, I think the the ideal place to start would be like, what is misinformation? What is conspiracy theories? Um, why are they re- prevalent? Why are they existing? Um, and John Oliver brought up some great points. So the first one he brought up was proportionality bias. And I catch myself doing this all the time. When something giant happens, you automatically and instinctively want a giant answer for why it happened. And the example he gave was the Chase Nation. So that was an event that literally stopped the world. Someone murdered a president and it was, it was just one guy. And in your head, it just doesn't seem feasible that one person could shock the world like that, could cause such a huge event. And so a lot of conspiracy theory, a lot of misinformation started around that event. Um, the reason they call it proportionality bias is because a similar event happened to Ronald Reagan. There was an attempted assassination and because he survived, uh, it wasn't seen as as big of an event. And you didn't see hardly any conspiracy theories jump up about that. Um, and it's just because it wasn't as big. So you assume like, oh, okay, so it could have been just one guy. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like not knowing what's happening. We don't like not having answers. I think especially right now with the coronavirus, which is so new, we really don't know as much of like the answers, how to combat it how to like treat it etc um so we want answers and confirmation bias kind of plays into this so 
depending on what side of the aisle you fall on on coronavirus, if you're thinking like, oh, I want to go outside, like this isn't a big deal, you're going to look for information that supports that and then kind of just like brush off stuff that doesn't because what you want to do is you want to go outside. Um, or for me, like I, I'm super scared of it. I want to stay inside and I generally look for more information that supports that, mm. that it's spreading quickly, that you should stay inside, that you should social distance. Um, so in general, people look for information that supports their beliefs. Yes. Um, so to go off that, I want to talk about what science is and what science is not because science is playing a big role right now in influencing our decisions and influencing policy and things of that sort. And again, I want to say this is not to undermine like Fauci. I'm a, I'm a Fauci fan. If anybody has listened to previous episodes, I, I do like Dr. Fauci, but it's good Fauci to know game. what science is, what it provides, what it doesn't provide and what, it, what, what, what kind of tool it actually can provide us. So I'd like to like start off with this statement that science does not prove things rather than it proves things wrong, if that makes sense. So I always like liken it to like a sculpture. If you have a block of marble and you're going to make a sculpture, science is like your tool to edge away the stuff that isn't really necessary. And you're not really creating, you're not really like building the sculpture. You're just like revealing it, if that makes sense. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great analogy. And so... I use a sculpture one, and then the one that I was taught in school was the black sheep example. If you're going to do an experiment and you're going to say, okay, I'm going to see what colors sheep come in, and you do a sample and you, you measure a ton of sheep all over the world, and you say, okay, well, we got a lot of white ones, maybe a, a, a couple that are like less white than others, a little more of the white, but they're still white. You, even if you have that, that data, you can't conclude that all sheep come in, come in white. Because unless you have sampled every sheep that was, every sheep that is, or every sheep that is to be, you can't make the conclusion that every sheep is white and comes in white, which is okay. You could, you could say like with a high confidence, like oh, there's a lot of white sheep or whatever you want to say. You just can't make those, you can't make conclusions that your data doesn't support. And so I think this, I think people have the wrong, wrong idea about science because this is just me. I don't know if this is right or not right, but if I think back to like when you when we're first introduced to like the scientific method and 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 science, we're taught to like we're taught to have we have a problem or we have a question and we want to make a hypothesis. And now when you're like in 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 what was it, high school or elementary school, what have you, we all want our hypothesis to be right. We don't want our hypothesis to be wrong. Um, even even though if the, your hypothesis is right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. So your your findings still provide very valuable insight. But for some reason, we don't want to be wrong with our hypotheses. And I think I think this is because, you know, when humans first evolved, we evolved from chimpanzees. What, what I think six million years ago. I'm getting six million years ago. I guess. Don't are you looking at the notes? Okay, good. Guess. So this this part of the data I got from one of the books I'm reading. Uh, how to fight misinformation. Um, guess in that six million years, how much of those six million years we had, we did not have any science. Like what what percentage of that of that time? Like half the time, six million. So three million years we didn't have it. How much? <laughs> Almost all of it, right? <laughs> yeah. So ninety nine point nine 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 three percent of the time we had no science. We had no ability to like set variables and control environments to see causal relationships. 
And so before that time, you have to make these direct links between your, what is it, examinations. So if you have a tree that gives you a whole bunch of fruit and really good resources, but there's a tiger's den right in front, you link that tiger's den to that tree so you just don't go to that area. So we have those like basic links that we make up until this point. So recent, or science is a recent construct and it's not very natural to our, the way we really were you know, brought up to think. Um, so what can we do about it, Allie? Unmuting myself again. <laughs> um, so on John Oliver again, he gave us three questions we can ask ourselves when presented with information. Um, first question is, is there a rational or a non-conspiracy explanation to this event? Um, the example he gave was the 5G connection to coronavirus um, outbreaks. So originally this went viral because the map of 5G towers correlated with the map of Corona hotspots. So he said, is there a rational explanation to this? And yes, the 5G maps also correlate with population, population density maps. And that makes sense. The more people in an area, the more cellular towers you need to serve that area. Um, so obviously there's a, a connection there. Um, the more people in an area, the more likely a virus is to spread. Um, so he kind of talked about this thing that correlation is not causation. So because there are a ton of 5G towers in an area that has a coronavirus outbreak does not mean that 5G causes corona. It means that there is a, a correlation, not a cause. Yeah. Um, second question you ask is, has it been reviewed by multiple experts and what are they saying? So most conspiracy theories come from a single group, a single source, a single expert. So you have to go look at a general uh, group of people in this field and what are they saying? The video that went viral recently, most doctors, professionals, Fauci, Dr. Burks came out and said like, this is incorrect. This information isn't true and you shouldn't be listening to it. Hydroxychloroquine is dangerous. Um, so it would be reasonable to listen to the group of experts as opposed to the one doctor that made the video. Um, and then the last question is how plausible is this as a practical matter? And this is the one that I get like the most connected to. Like this is, mm -hmm. this is always my default to like conspiracy theories. Um, the reason most cover-ups or like conspiracies come undone is because of the sheer volume of people that are necessary to keep them a secret. So um, they even have a question or an equation that evaluates how fast a conspiracy would spread if or how fast a conspiracy would unravel if it was true and the example they gave on the show was the moon landing so if the moon landing was fake and that was actually true uh 411 000 people would have to keep it a secret and the equation said if that was true it would take 3.68 years for that to come undone and for everyone to know about it and that is just logical to me as a human, like the ability to keep a secret, the ability to even plan a surprise party is so difficult among like a track team that <laughs> I, I couldn't fathom <laughs> secrets like that being kept. Yeah. Um, so when evaluating conspiracy theory, evaluating misinformation, try and think about how big the cover up would have to be, how many people would have to be involved, and is that even plausible as a real practical event. Mm.
next. So that's if you're looking at information. What if you see someone else spreading this information? So um, studies show that if you approach them with like shame or if you're very confrontational, they won't be very receptive to that information. And that's pretty logical. No one wants to feel stupid. No one wants to feel like they got duped. Um, so the best way to approach the situation would be to be empathetic, meet the people where they are, and urge them to think more critically. Um, my personal way to do that is just to provide sources um, outside of the video or misinformation that's being spread. So when I message people about the video that just went around about hydroxychloroquine, I mentioned the FDA um, removing it from the list of approved uh, things that can be used to fight corona. Um, I sent links. Um, I talked about Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks. Um, I tried to include as many outside sources as possible. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I approached it. I tried to be as nice and like, hey, I totally get what you're get, like, getting at here, but here's what these people are saying, uh, just so that they would be open to it. I added in a, a, a second little or another little add-on to Ali's list. Ask questions where you either know or think the holes in their reasoning is. So if they're saying, if they're like, I don't know, if they're making some kind of claim and you know that it's incorrect because of X, Y, and Z, ask questions to like lead them to where X, Y, and Z are. And so they can either find it on their own, be like, oh, maybe it's not. Or if they don't want to get there, you can say, oh, well, I saw, I heard, or I saw from this source or whatever that X is because of Y and not because of Z or whatever. What do you know? You kind of get what I'm trying to say. Kind of like guide them to where you made the connection or uh, where the holes or the gaps in the reasoning are. Yeah. Which I found to be pretty good too. So vetting sources for science. This is going to be my, this is my jam. Okay. So before I start, I linked a uh, article. I was looking at articles before we came in to see if there's any good ones. And there's honestly, there's really, really good ones. I was blown away by this one I found where it was a, uh, by compoundchem.com. No, 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 sorry. Frontiers.in.org. And it goes over what good science is, what bad science is, how to tell the difference, um, and what you can do as like a layperson to kind of arm yourself. Because I mean, we over the past few episodes, we've kind of go over like how I've kind of thought, how do I, how do I get someone to arm themselves without like an extensive background in reading peer-reviewed research because i mean honestly i would i would encourage everybody to learn how to do that because i mean i think that's a tool you'll probably be able to use forever because science is always going to be here it's only going to grow um, so might as well become a little more versed in it but not everybody has the time to to do that so how do i what's kind of a checklist you can go down and i kind of i kind of made one and we have one that was already made and i'm going to link it in the description we can go over that one too but and so we got to be, I believe we got to be more strict when considering sources from a science perspective. Um, and what I mean by that is I've seen links and sources. So I feel like people think sources and links are like a, a bulletproof method, method to validating an article or what have you, but it's like, I don't think it is personally. And so I've seen a lot of what I, I don't know if anybody said this, but what I've called circular linking, where an article will link another article which links another article which links another and it keeps going and it kind of goes in a circle and i i don't know if that's ever been actually a name for it but i, I called it circular circular linking where you kind of just link some oh someone else said it oh that person said it oh that person said it and it goes in a circle and so when i see that that's a red flag number one um i don't like op-eds just because of the wording mainly 
with it when I go to Alley. I don't like Abed just because, um, like, I don't know if we brought this up, but a lot of articles have to have this like flowery, flowery, uh, what's the word? Words to go with it. Because people don't like uncertainty. Like science says X, Y, or Z, which we've discussed in previous episodes that it's because of YouTube, because of other stuff that makes it more difficult to compete with these other sources. So I don't really blame them. I kind of do blame them. I kind of don't. I almost more, more so blame people for not doing their due diligence. But anyway, I don't think op-ed should be sourced, should be cited. That's just me. Um, okay, so when, when we lo we're looking at articles and we're looking at the sources, there's a few different things we want to see. And again, this is in regards to science. We want to see scientific articles. We want to see scientific reviews, meta-analyses, which is you take, so there's a person or a group of researchers, they take the, the, the overarching amount of evidence in a, giving, a given sector. So if I'm talking about creatine, and we do, I don't know, there's, I do five experiments about creatine and these different, using these different procedures, and I get five different results. Okay, okay, cool. Let's say a whole bunch of researchers over, over the world and the umbrella of creatine have done a million articles or do a million experiments with creatine. What a meta-analysis does is takes the finding from all of those million or a large portion of those million articles and says, and then it plots all that data on a bigger stage, I guess, a bigger experiment. And mm -hmm. it confers the, and it, it gives you a more accurate arrow for where the data is pointing. Like, is it good? Is it bad? It'll be able to point you in a more confident direction that you can't really get from one or two or three sources. So that's honestly the best and most reliable piece of evidence that we could probably provide is a meta-analysis. And then lastly, any kind of uh, research that's published in a scientific journal. So what's a scientific journal? Like the Journal of Amer American Medical Association, the JAMA, the JAMA, or the BMJ, the British Medical Journal. So these are journals that have, so people, someone does an experiment, a group of researchers, they do an experiment, they submit it to the journal, and then it's what's called peer-reviewed. So we have a, a board or some kind of um, collective other researchers look at the study and they kind of evaluate it, they appraise it. Like, was it done correctly? What are the author's conclusions? Do the authors have any uh, biases or conflicts of interest? It kind of goes over and appraises the, the information to make sure it meets a certain standard. If it doesn't meet that standard, it, it won't get published in the journal. Um, so that's essentially what peer review is. That's what we felt when we say, is this article peer reviewed? Has it been appraised? Has it been looked at by outside sources who look at the procedure? So what did you do? What controls did you do? Um, things of that sort. Said it was either good, not good. If it wasn't good, it's not published. If it was good or it meets the standard, it's published and it's in the journal. It's good. And so if we're looking at an article and they link some study, and you look at the study, but one easy thing you can do is just see if the author's conclusion matches the article of the person who's uh, linking the study. Make sure that the conclusions match. Whether or not the, the data supports it, whatever, you don't have to even look at that. If the, if the author and the researchers have the same conclusion, I think that's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, and so lastly, well, not lastly, but I think overall, not just with, with COVID or I think my background is more, more extensively fitness and um, health and wellness. 
the best thing you can probably do is you're, you're better off knowing how things work rather than what works. So, so what I mean by that is if you are looking at buying a detox tea to detox your liver, you, instead of seeing whether or not detox teas in themselves work, look at how your body detoxifies your body or what, what toxins are in your body. Look at what your liver does in your body. And then look at what the DTs or whatever it says, say they work. And if it doesn't match with what the liver actually does, it probably doesn't work. And so that's what I've kind of come and pushed people towards. A lot of people have uh, reser reservations about vaccines. So instead of looking at the actual vaccine that's you know, eventually going to be produced, you should look at you know, what vaccines are, how they work, what the different kinds of vaccines are, what, the, what a virus is, what's the difference between a virus and a bacteria, you know, things like that. Just know, getting your general knowledge about the workings of whatever is, your, is in question, getting those ironed out. So when you're finally introduced with a vaccine, let's say, you know what a vaccine is, you know what kind of vaccine this is that they produce, you know, I don't know, how long it usually takes to, to make a vaccine. You know, all these kind of general questions, even though if you don't have like, you don't know the actual ingredients or what have you, you can have this working knowledge. And if anything like is a major, like doesn't line up, then you can actually spot that out. To, I wanted to go over, so I wanted to do two things. I put in this link of this bad science, uh, what is the word? Infographic? Infographic. Which kind of says what I said, but better and more, and, and just more succinct. So I just want to go mm -hmm. over it real quick. So one, okay. sensationalized headlines. Article headlines are commonly designed to entice viewers into clicking and reading on. So sensationalized headlines. Just know that big conclusions, like with science, need big results, big data. They need big evidence to support it. Uh, two, misinterpreted results. So if the author's conclusion don't match what the, the, um, the uh, what is the word? Author, the author of authors of the study don't match what the author of the article are saying. Conflicts of interest, that one's a little lower on my list because good data is good data. But I mean, it's still something to think about. Conflict of interest. Uh, correlation is not causation. I, so with my thoughts on this one, I don't think correlation is not causation. It's, I feel like people who say that kind of use it as like this flaming sword to just bash down any data they don't like. It's, it's good to keep in your head correlation is not causation, but that doesn't like just mean you can disregard any data that's before you. You should still think about it and still think, why is, why is this not a causative factor? Like what, what is the link that is between these two variables? Just keep that in your head. Because I mean, even if something's correlative, it, should be, it could mean something. It doesn't mean it means nothing all the time. It doesn't sometimes. What was your example? The 5G towers and the population densities? 5G towers and population, population density. Okay, and that example probably means nothing. But I mean, not all, not all the time, it doesn't always mean nothing, if that makes sense. Sometimes yeah, it means something. Yeah, I think correlation is not causation. It's just a, like a flag. Like, evaluate what's in front of you. Is yes. there another alternative? What is the alternative? And kind of move forward. Yeah, so go through that process. Exactly. What is the alternative? Because you can't just say it's not. Well, then what, why is it not causative? That's kind of the path you have to go down. Unsupported conclusions. Problem with sample size. A lot of times when you're working with people, Bigger sample size are better. The more, the more people you have in your study, 
the more accurate your data is and the better results you probably have. So you want bigger sample sizes. Uh, unrepresentative samples used. So this one's big in statistics. If you're using, let's say, what's a good example? If you're studying something about college students and you do your study in front of a high school, your data yes. is going to be off. That's, yes, that's a good example. So you have to use the good representative populations. Control groups. What a control group is, is you basically have one group where you don't have the intervention. So if I'm doing creatine, how, how, much, how much stronger can I get on creatine? I have to have a group where I don't give any creatine and see if they got any stronger. That's a control group. No blind testing. Um, I don't know. This is a little in-depth. <laughs> don't worry about no blind testing. Don't worry about no blind testing. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a little in-depth. Uh, selective reporting and data. Uh, that, I don't want people to worry about that one. Uh, unrep unreplicable results. So results usually should be tested again and again and again to verify their findings. That's basically what that means. I don't know how much that that matters right now, but just know that uh, non-peer-reviewed material. So peer-reviewed is always better. Always, always better. That doesn't mean that something that's preprint can't be a good paper. It just has. It just it just hasn't been appraised yet. So you just have to keep that in your mind. It hasn't been appraised yet. So I'll link this into the description. So I think something we should talk about really quickly is like what me and John specifically do when we see something on Instagram that we don't know is true or not. So if I see a tweet from Hillary Clinton and I want to share it, the first thing I do is I go straight to the source and I double check that it's real. I think a lot of the times online, it's really easy to Photoshop or fake something. So with that kind of a thing, I just go straight to the source. Um, if there's a video like the hydroxychloroquine video or some other video, um, my first thing is to Google it and see what sources are reporting on it. So if it's um, a bunch of newspapers I've never heard of before, if it's um, random websites or with a Moz score or a spam score that's uh, not very good, um, I tend to disregard it until I start seeing more uh, reputable sources talk about it. And then if I see it in one of my like gold standard uh, places, like if it's in um, like the Harvard Business Review, if it's in the New York Times, if it's in the Post, if it came from a government website, um, those kinds of places, then I'm more likely to accept the information. That's kind of like the thing I go through before I share something or when I see something online. That's pretty good. I'm trying to think of what I do because honestly honestly I don't like social media <laughs> <laughs> I think I I kind of only use it just to see what the common going is or what people are kind of saying because um, honestly on social media when people link sources it's a lot of the the circular referencing that I've that I've mentioned before where it's like it's mostly like he said, she said references instead of actual sources references. Um, mm -hmm. Let me think. <laughs> um, I don't, and I don't want to say anything that's like, because a lot of people think that STEM majors are a little pretentious and nose in the air and they kind of don't give a lot of credence to social science science. But I honestly like social science science 
But on that same note, I've seen some really bad social science science. But then, then again, there's bad science everywhere. Um, yeah, I, I mean, to personally, I, I like what you said, the Harvard Business Review. Um, I know you're not trying to bash on my degree right now. <laughs> that's what I said. I said, it's just some, I've seen good and bad. And I don't want to be that person that's like, oh, that's not science. Because that's, that's, not, that's not cool. Um, I like .gov references. .gov references. I also really like, like .gov references. Yes, those are always solid. Whenever I see those, I'm like, all right, it's usually pretty good. Um, but a lot of this stuff, when you're talking about statistics, they're really easy to get a hold of. Like, I mean, uh, if you see statistics on, I don't know, graduation rate or something, I don't know, easy stuff. Those statistics are usually pretty easily available at like good Census Bureau websites. Like the, the Bureau, I think the, the Federal Bureau of Justice, I think that's one, where you can go and see arrest rates, you can go and see crime rates, and they break it down, and they break it down by age, by gender, by race, they break it down. And it doesn't take any, like, actual knowledge or actual background knowledge to get it. So those, those websites are usually pretty spot on. Um, any of the census bureaus are pretty good. Um, so if, they, if any of those are linked or referenced, I think it's usually a pretty, pretty solid indicator. Um, I usually don't like infographics because infographics I've, I've I, I found don't usually do a great job in, re, in giving, good re, good, giving good resources. So I don't like infographics. Um, but yeah, .gov sources are, are good in my book. I think also like for me on social media i'm talking more about like events so like specifically during the black lives matter protests mm. there would be things popped up that said like um this happened at this place or like this mm. happened at this place and i found that there was a mixed bag of like what was true and what was sensationalized and so that was my process for like oh. is like are the times reporting on this or is it just like someone on social media who has this picture that like i can't find anywhere else um so like for events and stuff like that i think that's more what I'm talking about. But I think when it comes to like statistics and like real like scientific claims, I would say like social media is definitely not the place you should be getting those. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm talking more about like events or like that yeah. kind of so, stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. I'm down with that. Okay. Hey. I heard you had a question. I did have a question, which I'm, I go back and forth in my head on this all the time and I'm torn. I don't really have... I don't have a definitive claim on this. I, I've been thinking about this for a while, basically ever since COVID started. But the question is, what, do, what role do you think or what responsibility do you think like social media or tech has in regulating the amount of misinformation and disinformation that's circulating, you know, on the internet? Because I want to say like, I want to say that I initially wanted to say that, oh, they like, they don't need to censor it. Like, people should already have like a way of not trusting everything they see and yeah, and this, this and that and the other thing. But then I realized like <laughs> people do, I, when I read these books, like I think last week I, I talked about think twice or bad science. A lot of this stuff is not very intuitive and it's easy. It's easier than I would like to believe to get duped. And so that's why I'm torn. What are, what are your thoughts on this? So I have specific thoughts. Um, I think now, especially with 
DJT in the White House um, and his tendencies on Twitter, I think there is an important role in the social media outlets to tag misinformation, tag things that can be dangerous. Because when the president speaks, when the president says something, regardless of who the president is, the office carries weight and authority. So mm-hmm. if he says something, if he retweets something, it, it, that automatic would be, uh, um, and I think without that tag, without any sort of check on it, it could be, um, it could be dangerous or it could be, I don't know how to explain what I was saying. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, yeah, yeah. without it that check, be, yeah, because be misleading. of the office, like it, it's like the White House, the president is saying this, yeah. and and that's dangerous. Um, I think there is a line, and I I can't say where that line is, because there's a freedom of speech issue where people should be able to say whatever they want. Like mm-hmm. in our country, racist people can say whatever they want to say, even if it's garbage. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like. I don't know where the line is between like letting people say what they want to say and like information that's harmful or information that shouldn't be circulated. Mm -hmm. And then like, who is the person to decide what those things are? It's, it's hard. And like, obviously on my side, like I want anything that's not true about coronavirus to be, you know, not circulated or taken down or tagged as like misinformation. But I think there's another group of people who necessarily may not have the education that we have, may not have the the views that we have that would see that as a limitation on their speech. Mm-hmm. It's a really hard line to cross. Yeah. <laughs> or like I walk, I guess. I don't know. I don't know where cause... it is, but I, I do think that there's a role in censorship. Yeah. Because like, yeah, I don't I don't know how to do it. I want to say I don't I don't know. I don't know cuz cuz there's I have friends where, you know, we try and or I try and like uh, explain what we can do to like arm ourselves against misinformation, disinformation, all that good stuff. But it's never really taken very seriously. But it is a serious issue. It's it's very important to to arm yourself against this kind of stuff because it could be harmful. You know, it's good for to keep yourself in check. You know, it, it's it's really good and this is really important. And so that's why I'm like, what is the I line? The example, where I'm like, you know, the example I would give is when I one of the people I reached out to who had posted the video that says that hydroxychloroquine. One more time, mm-hmm. it says that hydroxychloroquine is a cure to coronavirus. When I reached out, they said you know, I'm just going to put this out here and then people can make their own decisions because everyone should see all of the information. Mm. I think when people are are saying things like that, they're saying like, this is a valuable source of information that should be weighed with the other information that's coming from the FDA, the CDC, from the doctors and the White House task force. And I think that's harmful, Mm. Um, especially with some things that like, like hydroxychloroquine, which has like been shown to cause heart issues that like could genuinely hurt someone. I think, I guess that's where the line is, is like when it could cause direct harm to people. I think mm-hmm. maybe that's where it is. I so don't do know. You, I really don't know. So do you think it should be just like tagged, like a little banner, like, hey, this hasn't been verified and the CDC and these other organizations um, don't uh, corroborate this 
information or should it be taken down? I think, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Me personally, as like a very like leftist, I'm really democratic. Like I'm a really big Democrat. I'm all sorts of partisan, like personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would want it taken down. But I okay. think in general, the most freedom of speech fair thing to do would be to put you know how they put like the careful this is graphic like blur Mm, over things Mm -hmm. i think a screen like that that says like warning this has been proven to be misinformation blah blah blah, would probably be the 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 fairest way to levy that Mm -hmm. so like people can share the information if they want to but like before they can see it they have to read the thing that says yeah like warning this is yeah but then who, so, so then who, how do you know what is like misinformation? Like who's, who's giving Nothing. that last like ding? I don't know. I think, I think for things that you have to really think about, it shouldn't be levied. But I think for things like the video where the doctor who shared these views has also claimed that alien DNA is used in medicine and that sleeping with demons gives you cervical cancer mm. when she makes claims about something that has been proven by the government to not be effective and actually mm-hmm. be harmful. I think that kind of a, a storm of like, it's like a, it's a mistruth tornado, I guess mm-hmm. that that is something that should be stopped. But I think if someone like just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, yeah, know. I don't know. I think this that's- specific video too is hard because like the president retweeted it. And I think that's what caused so much of the issue is like, him giving it like the stamp of approval. I don't think it would have been a big as, as big of an issue if he hadn't waited. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. I go back on, on forth back and forth on this like every week. Because I'm messy. like, no, just leave it up. Cause people should if they make stupid decisions, they make stupid decisions. But then I'm just like, no, because a lot of this stuff is, is really is complicated and I can't just assume everybody knows how to deal with it. So I don't know. I it's go back and forth. Because like you walk the line between like wanting someone to be able to make their own decisions, but not wanting someone who hasn't had the education or the skills to make those decisions properly. Like you don't want them to be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's so hard to like, Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. But I mean, I guess that's, that's good that I'm not making any kind of um, any of those decisions. <laughs> but so, I mean, one like last thing I want to say is just, it's again, I've said this before in other podcasts and other episodes, but it's good to ask questions. A good, a, a healthy amount of skepticism, a good, a, good, a healthy amount of, um, curiosity is really, really good. It's really, really good. Not in the in the sense to undermine anybody who's making these um, policies or, or or who's actually a professional in this field, but to provide you with gaps in your knowledge, gaps in your understanding, um, and to it's it's always just good to be a healthy skeptic and just to ask questions. Thanks for tuning in to the BS Live podcast. Shout out Patrick So Hacky for our dope intro music. You can follow him on Instagram at Pink Wolf. Uh, follow the BS in Life podcast on Instagram at BS in Life Pod. If you leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, we might shout you out on the pod. If you're new, like, comment, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.